good morning to all of you. Uh, don't know what you all expect for a communion service message. Uh, we're going to be looking at a lot of Old Testament scripture, which maybe seems dry to you. Um, in particular, we're going to be in the book of Leviticus, which um, is not a book that I've heard preached from very much. Um, but I think there are things that um, can be seen there. And I was thinking about the things that we see, the glimpses we see in the Old Testament of Jesus. And of course, Jesus does appear in some pre-incarnate forms. Um, we know that there are times when folks saw the angel of the Lord, and it seems as though that was Jesus. When Abraham had three strangers come on to him and he served them a meal, two of those were angels, and one of them was a manifestation of God. And we don't know much about the sacrificial system prior to the Mosaic Law. We know that even back in the time of Adam and Eve, there were sacrifices. Cain was angry with Abel because God accepted Abel's sacrifice of a sheep, but did not accept Cain's sacrifice of fruits of the land. And we don't know why that is, because we don't know what God had told them about that, right? So we don't know. God said, you know what, you people, there's only three of you right now, but just be warned, when you sacrifice, don't put food on the altar, put well, I guess sheep are food, kind of, right? But put, put meat on the altar. And they said, well, sure. And then Cain said, well, but I don't, I'm, I'm not a sheep farmer. I'm not going to put sheep on the I'll put my own stuff on the altar. Maybe it was just Cain's bad attitude. And God said, you know, your, your attitude is so bad, I can't take this sacrifice. Uh, this is all about you, and it's not about me. And it's not a real sacrifice at all. But we know from later on that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. Hebrews 9, 20 through 28. So Hebrews is the book of better things. It looks back to the Old Testament and it says, look in the Old Testament, you see these things, and now there's something better. So the last time I preached, I talked about the new things that God brings into our life with the new year, right? Right. And the best thing is the new covenant. There is something that is different now than was in the Old Testament. And it's because of Jesus and his work. And that's what we're celebrating this morning, is the fact that Jesus took away something that didn't really work. So they talk about, you know, the, the, the insanity of doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results, right? So, so if every time you wake up in the morning... And you do the same things, and then you think, you know what? This morning's going to be different. I'll do the same things, but um, I'll have a million dollars. It's not going to happen. So better things that Jesus brought. So Hebrews 9, 20 through 22 through 28 says, And according to the law, almost all things are purified with blood, and without shedding of blood, there is no remission. Therefore, it was necessary that the copies of the things in the heavens should be purified with these, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ has not entered the holy places made with hands, 
which are copies of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Not that he should offer himself often as a high priest enters the most holy place every year with blood of another. He then would have had to suffer often since the foundation of the world. But now once at the end of the ages, he has appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And as it is appointed for men to die once, but after this the judgment, so Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. To those who eagerly wait for him, he will appear a second time apart from sin for salvation. And this morning, as we partake of the cup and the bread, we understand that we are celebrating something terrible few things that we're admitting. We're admitting that we are sinners. And not only that, we are sinners worthy of death. And that it required a sacrifice on our behalf in order that we not pay that penalty. And Jesus paid it for us. So we're going to be looking at the book of Leviticus to see what the Old Testament sacrificial system looked like The holiest day for the Jewish people, even today, is Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. Now, the Jewish people today do not sacrifice animals. They don't go out and take a a sheep and sacrifice it. Um, Ever since the temple was destroyed in AD 70, they don't. uh, They don't do that. Some Orthodox groups think that if they would ever build a temple again, which who knows if that will happen, um, that they would start doing that again. But most of the Jewish people don't think they would ever start sacrifice again. They think that um, they don't need that. Uh, not because they believe in Jesus, just because they don't believe that's necessary. But we don't understand why the shedding of blood is necessary for, for the remission of sins. Leviticus 17.11 says that the life is in the blood. And I was thinking about blood. So I'm going to tell some stories about blood this morning. So I, hopefully you're not too squeamish. These aren't really like gory stories. So, um, But I had a lady who came in one day to see me in the office. And she told me, I think I've got a sinus infection. And I said, really? What, what symptoms do you have with the sinus infection? And she said, well, I've got this pounding headache. And... Um, and it just feels like my heart is going kind of fast, and um, I just don't feel right. And I looked at her, and I examined her, and I said, I, I don't think you've got a sinus infection. She was pretty pale. Her heart rate was about 130 beats a minute at rest. And I sent her across the street to the hospital, which was just across the street in Indiana. And I said, why don't you wait there, and we'll run the blood work, and I will call you with the results. And so they called me with a stat result, and they said, um, this lady's hemoglobin was 4.0. And 4.0 is very low. So a normal level, the lower end of normal is around 11. So she was about a third of where she should have been at. Unfortunately, she was young, and so she was doing okay. She wasn't passing out. But if, if things had gotten worse, if she'd lost any more blood, she would have died. 
Our, ox our blood carries oxygen and nutrients to various parts of our body. And as people get more and more anemic, their heart rate speeds up to try to compensate for that, and they feel short of breath, and they can't do as much, and yeah, they can get headaches and feel lightheaded. So we need blood, right? Even if your heart's perfect, if somebody drains all the blood out of your body, you're not going to do very well. So the problem of sin, Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And I think we know these verses, don't we? They're very familiar. We memorize them as children. The first thing we see is that every single one of us is a sinner, from the youngest to the oldest. We don't want to be sinners. I, I've never wanted to do bad things. Um, but I sometimes have felt like I just wasn't in control of what I was doing. Or I, you know, I, I didn't want to do bad things, but I wanted to do them more than I wanted to do what was good. That makes sense. Like sometimes you just think, boy, that would be, that would be so much fun to do that thing. And and then I'll apologize after the fact or whatever. Maybe nobody will know and it'll be okay. The consequences of that are death. So I was trying to think of an illustration of this. And, and the best thing I could come up with was um, somebody buying a new truck and taking it home and they have a four-year-old child, and they park it in the driveway. It's looking wonderful. It's whatever your favorite color is. It looks like that. It's got all the options on it. And they go inside, and they're messing around, and they come back outside, and their four-year-old has taken a stone and just rubbed it all around the outside and just scratched it up. And they are upset. And then the four-year-old says, Dad, I've got $2.16 in my piggy bank. I'll give that to you, and you can fix your truck. And the dad says, Arr! Because he can't think of anything else to say. But that's the problem of sin. All of the money we have in our piggy bank is not enough to pay the price. And the price is much more than what a paint job on a truck would be. We are going to be looking at the Day of Atonement. I told you that you all know, well, many of you know the hymn, Not All the Blood of Beasts. And it says, not all the blood of beasts on Jewish altars slain could give the laboring conscience peace or wash away its stain. But Christ, the heavenly lamb, takes all our sins away, a sacrifice of nobler name and richer blood than they. My faith would lay her hand on that dear head of thine, while like a penitent I stand and there confess my sin. And Isaac Watts, in this song, is referencing the scapegoat. So I don't know what you think about 
when you think of a scapegoat. But we're going to read from Leviticus chapter 16, and we're going to see what the scapegoat was. As we read this passage, I want you to realize that Jesus is sacrifice and scapegoat. And in this, the high priest takes his hands and lays them on the head of the goat and confesses the sins of the people. And that's what we do. We say, Jesus, I lay my hand on you and I confess my sins. And Jesus takes them and he runs far out in the wilderness and they are not seen again. Let's read Leviticus chapter 16. Now the Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron when they offered profane fire before the Lord and died. And the Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron your brother not to come at just any time into the holy place inside the veil before the mercy seat which is on the ark, lest he die. For I will appear in the cloud above the mercy seat. Then Aaron shall come into the holy place with the blood of a young bull as a sin offering and of a ram as a burnt offering. He shall put the holy linen tunic and the linen trousers on his body. He shall be girded with a linen sash and with a linen turban he shall be attired. These are holy garments. Therefore he shall wash his body in water and put them on. And he shall take from the congregation of the children of Israel two kids of the goat as a sin offering and one ram as a burnt offering. Aaron shall offer the bull as a sin offering, which is for himself, and make atonement for himself and for his house. He shall take the two goats and present them before the Lord at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. Then Aaron shall cast lots for the two goats, one lot for the Lord and the other lot for the scapegoat. And Aaron shall bring the goat on which the Lord's lot fell and offered as a sin offering. But the goat on which the lot fell to be the scapegoat shall be presented alive before the Lord to make atonement upon it and to let it go as a scapegoat into the wilderness. And Aaron shall bring the bull of the sin offering, which is for himself, and make atonement for himself and for his house, and shall kill the bull as a sin offering, which is for himself. Then he shall take a censer full of burning coals of fire from the altar before the Lord with his hands full of sweet incense beaten fine, and bring it inside the veil. And he shall put the incense on the fire before the Lord, that the cloud of incense may cover the mercy seat that is on the testimony, lest he die. He shall take some of the blood of the bull and sprinkle it with his fingers on the mercy seat on the east side. And before the mercy seat, he shall sprinkle some of the blood with his finger seven times. Then he shall kill the goat of the sin offering, which is for the people. Bring its blood inside the veil to do that with that blood as he did with the blood of the bull and sprinkle it on the mercy seat and before the mercy seat. So he shall make atonement for the holy place because of the uncleanness of the children of Israel and because of their transgression for all their sin. And so he shall do for the tabernacle of meeting which remains among them in the midst of their uncleanness. There shall no man in the tabernacle of meeting when he goes in to make atonement in the holy place until he comes out that he may make atonement for himself, for his household, and for all the assembly of Israel. And he shall go out to the altar that is before the Lord and make atonement for it. 
and shall take some of the blood of the bull and some of the blood of the goat and put it on the horns of the altar all around. Then he shall sprinkle some of the blood on it with his finger seven times, cleanse it and consecrate it from the uncleanness of the children of Israel. And when he has made an end of atoning for the holy place, the tabernacle of meeting and the altar, he shall bring the live goat. Aaron shall lay both his hands on the head of the live goat. Confess over it all the iniquities of the children of Israel and all their transgressions concerning all their sins, putting them on the head of the goat and shall send it away into the wilderness by the hand of a suitable man. The goat shall bear on itself all their iniquities to an uninhabited land and he shall release the goat in the wilderness. Then Aaron shall come into the tabernacle meeting, shall take off the linen garments, which he put on when he went into the holy place and shall leave them there. And he shall wash his body with water in the holy place, put on his garments, come out and offer his burnt offering and the burnt offering of the people and make atonement for himself and for the people. The fat of the sin offering he shall burn on the altar and he who released the goat as the scapegoat shall wash his clothes and bathe his body in water and afterward he may come into the camp. The bowl for the sin offering and the goat for the sin offering whose blood was brought in to make atonement in the holy place shall be carried outside the camp and they shall burn in the fire their skins, their flesh, and their offal. Then he who burns them shall wash his clothes and bathe his body in water, and afterward he may come into the camp. This shall be a statute forever for you. In the seventh month, on the tenth day of the month, you shall afflict your souls and do no work at all, whether a native of your own country or a stranger who dwells among you. For on that day the priest shall make atonement for you to cleanse you, that you may be clean from all your sins before the Lord." It is a Sabbath of solemn rest for you, and you shall afflict your souls. It is a statute forever. And the priest who is anointed and consecrated to minister as priest in his father's place shall make atonement and put on the linen clothes, the holy garments. Then he shall make atonement for the holy sanctuary, and he shall make atonement for the tabernacle of meeting and for the altar, and he shall make atonement for you to make atonement for the children of Israel for all their sins once a year. And he did as the Lord commanded Moses. So the long passage. This passage begins with a reference to the death of Aaron's two sons, Nadab and Abihu. And we know from Leviticus that they went in to burn what was called unauthorized fire before the Lord. And we don't know what that exactly refers to, and that because of that, fire had come out from God and it burned them up. And I think the reference here is simply to say, look, what you do here is important and you need to do it exactly the way I've told you to do it. So don't skip a step. Don't try to make it easier. Don't wear different clothes or kill a different number of animals because I want it done exactly this way. So there's seriousness involved when we come into a worship service, isn't there? And particularly a service oriented around communion because we are remembering the fulfillment of this passage. So there are types seen here. Types are metaphors 
They're examples that look forward to the coming of Jesus. And we know from this book, and then comparing it to the book of Hebrews, that Jesus fulfills two roles. He fulfilled the role of priest, but he also fulfilled the role of sacrifice. So what do we see of the priest here? First of all, he was wearing holy garments. These were things that were sanctified to God. They were to be of pure linen. This is an expensive cloth. I don't imagine they had a lot of pure linen, particularly when they were traveling through the Sinai Desert. And there's a need for our lives to be covered by the holiness of Jesus. He was to have washed carefully ahead of time. Once again, when you're traveling through the desert, it is hard to get water. And yet they said, you know, it is important that this priest take a complete bath before he goes in and after he comes out. So I don't know how often they bathed in the Old Testament. Probably not near as often as what we do now. Running water helps. But the priest had to do this on this particular day. And Aaron may have started off clean, but he didn't stay clean. So Aaron had to offer a sacrifice for himself before he could ever start on offering sacrifices for the people. It says Aaron not only has to take a bath, but he also has to offer this bull as a sin offering for himself. He was not okay. He was just like the rest of the people. He had sin in his life. And he needed, in order to approach the Holy of Holies, to sacrifice. And there's blood. And he's wiping the blood on the horns of the altar. And he's putting the blood on the mercy seat. And all of this is a sign of what is to come. So we see a ram that was offered as a burnt offering, a bull as a sin offering, um, sin offering was to be burned completely. There's not to be anything left over. Um, sometimes with offerings, the priest could eat some of it, but not here. Everything was to be burned. And then two goats were to be selected. We know from a, other passages that they were to be as perfect as possible. There was to be no blemish. And one goat was sacrificed, and the other goat we call it the scapegoat. Aaron would put his hands on the head of that goat, confess the sins of the nation on it, and then a man would take it and lead it away outside of the camp, and they were to drive it away in a way that they would never see that goat again. And Jesus embodied both of these goats. He was sacrifice and scapegoat. Hebrews tells us that these sacrifices didn't work, they didn't work. They had to do them every single year. Year after year after year for a thousand years they had to do this because it didn't work. The people kept sinning. The sacrifices didn't avail. When we think of a scapegoat, we think of somebody who takes the blame for somebody else's actions. And my grandfather's brother, um, when he was young, he went to Catholic school. And one day, all the boys in his class, I don't know, he was maybe third or fourth grade, he, uh, 
they got the idea that they would all bring rice to school. And if the teacher stepped out of the class for a little bit, they would throw rice around. I'm not sure why they thought this was a great idea. Uh, Anybody who's a teacher here probably thinks that sounds awful. And that's exactly what they did. They brought rice to school. And the teacher had to step out for a little bit. And they just threw rice at each other. And they made a terrible mess. And the teacher came back after a little while. And they were all back in their seats. And there was rice everywhere. And the teacher said, who did this? And my great uncle Bob raised his hand. And he was the only boy in the class who raised his hand. He wasn't the only one who'd thrown rice around. There were lots of other boys who'd done it. But he raised his hand. He, he had done it, and he admitted it. And the teacher was upset. You did all this, Bob? And um, he didn't say anything. He didn't want to tell the teacher, you know, all the other boys did it too. But I'm sure he felt like a scapegoat right then. And so the, um, the teacher pulled him off and took him to the principal's office and told him how terrible my Uncle Bob was, great Uncle Bob was. And uh, then um, the principal called in his brothers, and one of them laughed, and the other one, uh, who's my grandfather, said, I will make sure that um, I'm, I will make sure that Bob pays for these crimes. And um, the principal was happy with that. Well, he never told his parents about it, but he did make, um, he did make my great-uncle Bob do a lot of things for him that he probably should have been doing himself. So he kind of blackmailed him. So I was thinking about this story because, to me, this is what human scapegoats are like. My Uncle Bob was not responsible for all the mess in the classroom, but he was responsible for some of it. And he wasn't really a scapegoat. To be a real scapegoat, you have to be innocent. And none of us are innocent. If we are identified as a problem, it is because we have sin in our lives. Without a true scapegoat, we are simply suffering for our own sins. And that's where Jesus comes in, because he was perfect. And as we think about this sacrificial system, it was, it was a problem, wasn't it? It had to be done every single year. So I had another patient who had a, a kind of, of bone marrow failure called myelodysplasia. And she got treated with different things, and they didn't really work very well. And she ended up having to go for blood transfusions. Every three or four months, she had to go for another blood transfusion, and another blood transfusion, another blood transfusion. And she lived for many years like this, but her bone marrow wasn't working. And that's the way the sacrificial system was. It was maintaining at best, and yet it was looking forward to something better. So what was that better thing? Well, it was Jesus, the sacrifice for sin. Let's read Isaiah 53. 
says, Who has believed a report, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. He has no form or comeliness, and when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, we have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment. And who will declare his generation? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people he was stricken. And they made his grave with the wicked but with the rich at his death, because he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. When you make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant shall justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bore the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. Isaiah 53, more than any other passage in the Old Testament, is a prophetic passage that describes Jesus as the sacrificial lamb. We don't know what Jesus looked like during his earthly ministry. We've seen pictures of him, and they all look different. Most often, they look like we look. So people make Jesus look like them. And the only thing we know for sure is by the time Jesus got to the cross, he was so disfigured. His his visage was marred more than any other man, Isaiah 52 says, we would not have recognized him. His own mother wouldn't have recognized him if she'd seen him at that moment, except that she knew it was him. And through this passage, we see a clear description of the spotless Lamb of God come to take on himself the sins of the world, the sins of people who hated him. And this is what he came to do. You know, sometimes I'll, I'll t- say to Elaine, you know, Elaine, I'm going into town. Would you like me to pick something up? And she'll say, oh, we need butter, or, you know, whatever it is that we need. But Jesus wasn't on a trip to earth, and he said, oh, by the way, do you have anything for me to do? No, he came here specifically because there was no other way to assuage sin. Matthew 26, 39, Jesus is praying in the garden. He says, he went a little farther and fell on his face and prayed, saying, oh, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. 
And Jesus had an option even here. He could have said something more like, oh, my father, I've lived with these people for the last 30 years and they aren't worth it. They are money-grubbing and self-focused. Even the 12 disciples you gave me are worthless and they can't think their way out of a wet paper bag. I'm done with this. And he never prayed that. He saw me and he saw you as valuable. We were worthy of a redemption plan that cost him everything. He didn't want the suffering, but he wanted us more. I'd like to notice this phrase from Isaiah 53, the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And can't we see the scapegoat there? The high priest laying his hands on the goat and then driving it out so that we see those sins no more, even though we deserve to see them every day. We see from this that Jesus carried not only our sins, but our griefs. And that's a blessing too, that he knows us emotionally as well as all the things that we've done wrong. The suffering that we should have gone through, Jesus suffered in our place. I think we sometimes minimize what cross-bearing means. You know, we want to make it something that we understand right. But if, if you have to wait in traffic or at the drive-thru or, you know, Joe Beans and, and it's, it's a little long or you've got a really annoying coworker that you're dealing with, maybe that feels a cross-bearing, but it does not compare to what Jesus went through for us. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And this is one of those phrases that it's hard for us to understand. What peace is this talking about and what is the punishment? And clearly, it's talking about peace with God and that Jesus took this on himself. And then we are healed by his wounds. Once again, this speaks of Jesus' sacrifice for us. When he was on the cross, he said the words, it is finished. The sacrifice was complete. He'd given all that there needed to be given in order for us to receive redemption. In 2020, a junior doctor in um, Delhi, India, faced a patient who needed surgery. The patient was in septic shock from a deep infected leg wound, and this was in the middle of COVID, so... Things were not good at that point. And Dr. Fawaz looked at the patient's labs and realized the patient was severely anemic. He did not have enough blood to make it through surgery. And because of COVID, blood supplies were short. I don't know how good the blood supply is in India, but it wasn't a good situation. The patient was going to die. And Dr. Fawaz looked at the patient's blood type, and he looked at his own blood type, and he realized that they matched. And so he chose to give a unit of blood to the patient in order that he could go take the patient back to surgery. He was a surgeon, 
and he was the blood giver. And obviously, this sacrifice is far short of the sacrifice that Jesus gave to us. Dr. Fawaz didn't die as a result of this, donating this blood, and he knew he wouldn't die. But it speaks to me of somebody who's willing to give of themselves in order to see healing come. The end of this story in Isaiah 53 is victory. Jesus is named with the mighty, even though he died as a criminal. He achieved victory, even though he was not violent. I've mentioned before the idea of eucatastrophe. It's the concept that something bad, something terrible, seems destined to happen. And then at the last moment, something wonderful and miraculous happens to provide victory out of that. That is what is spoken of here. Sin and death seem to have won. Jesus has died, and yet the miracle of miracles happened. And as a result of Jesus' death, we have life through him. Who were the greatest in the kingdom? Is it the knights who went out on crusades in the 900s trying to defeat people in the Holy Land? No. It is those who walked in their master's footsteps and meekly followed even to the place of martyrdom because they loved him so much and wanted to see other people receive his wonderful gift too. So we come back to communion this morning. We are celebrating it, and I hope you have a little picture of how terrible our sin was and how great the gift given to us was. Ephesians 2, 1 through 7, and you he made alive. You at Bethel, he is made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins in, once, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. But God, so we've heard about humans, but God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. This morning Jesus is here. He's always here when two or three are gathered together in his name, but even more he has promised to be here specifically when we break the bread and drink the wine. We are made alive because of his suffering. And I hope this morning that once more we have a little picture of amazing grace, of wondrous love, of victorious power that we are given because Jesus was both sacrifice and scapegoat.